Hey, I'm Jim Martin. I always hesitate to ask this. I usually make a quick mention at the end of the show, but anyway, well, here it is. We rely on listener support to help fund the production of Adventure Rider Radio. We always hope that if we produced a quality product that adds some value to your life, then you would support us. But in reality, less than half a percent of listeners support, and only about half of those support monthly. We're very grateful for that support. If you aren't doing it already, drop by our website and click on the support button, adventureriderradio.com. Today, we're going to spend some time in Africa. We're going to learn about a motorcycle trip designed to showcase fruits and veggies, as well as a motorcycle nomad that uses dice for his compass. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Payne. Bill Bergoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. I'm Marissa Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com You probably already know that fruits and vegetables are good for you, right? Okay, I'm assuming you know that. The question is, how do you convince kids to eat more fruits and vegetables, or even try them in some cases? Max McGilvery, a recruiter for the food industry, and Gareth Jones, a dairy farmer, both from the UK, band together to try and make a connection between fruit, vegetables, and motorcycle travel. The thought process was to try and capture the kids' attention by attaching something fun and interesting, the motorcycle trip, with something healthy, instead of just standing there saying, eat your veggies or eat more fruits and vegetables. They planned a motorcycle trip from London to Africa that would have them visiting the farms that produce fruits and vegetables for the UK, the very food that the kids should be eating more of. Max and Gareth hope that by melding this motorcycle trip with visiting the source of healthy foods, that it would create an excitement and focus some attention to a subject that, at least for kids, is often right up there with brushing their teeth. My name is Max McGillivray. I am the founder of The Great Fruit Adventure for Africa. Um, I'm in a lovely village in Baton, uh, which is in Suffolk, which is in England. And just to try and uh, pinpoint that, uh, we're about uh, 20 miles. I have to go back to miles uh, east of Cambridge. Um, if I go further east, I'm going to hit Ipswich, Ipswich. And if I go further east from that, I'll um, head into the North Sea and end up in Holland. Max, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now, by the sound of your voice, it seems to me that I, I just—I can imagine that you're sitting by a, a probably a wood stove. <laughs> how, Jim, how did you know? Yeah, yeah we're, you know, we're, where are we now? Where, where are we now? In the mid, middle of February. Um, it's a, a relatively cold night. Um, I missed all the cold weather when I was away on my trip, but there's there's nothing better in the UK than having a wood burner. Uh, a glass of uh, South African red wine and a Labrador at your feet, especially to talk to you, Jim. Yeah, I, I like the Labrador at your feet. I think that's that's a great addition. Well, let's let's talk about the Great Fruit Adventure. What exactly is that? Um, well, where do we start with this one? Um, well, Jim, the, we have a huge problem in the UK and Europe, and I suspect, uh, unless you disagree with me, in the likes of Canada and America, 
uh, that the bulk of children, uh, their schools and their families do not know where fresh produce comes from. So in the UK, it's been analysed to death and it's something like six out of 10 children don't know where um, tomatoes come from, where bananas come from, even where milk comes from. Comes from. Um, so I got very frustrated uh, with this, having worked in the fresh produce sector for the last 20 years, that um, there's been lots of schemes to try and educate kids as to where fresh produce comes from, but they're very grey, they're, they're very banal. And I wanted to do something different. And we created this project, this adventure, which we'll, we'll go into more detail on, I'm sure. Um, when you turn up at a, at a school with a, with a Triumph motorbike and do a, a snazzy, crazy presentation and um, about Africa, educating kids about where fantastic fresh produce comes from um, and give them grab bags of fresh produce. They, they just get it. They get excited about it. Mum, dad, teacher, this crazy guy came in with this with this motorbike. He told us about Africa. He told us about Pink Lady Apples. Can we go and buy some Pink Lady Apples? So that, that was the whole raison d'etre behind my trip was to, to get kids excited about fresh produce by doing something completely different. So does that work? You know, just telling them a story about where the fruit comes from sort of gets them interested. I mean, is that the whole, the, the plan here? Is it by talking about fruit and where it comes from, the journey that it takes and, the, and maybe the place and what, that it comes from and what it's like to live there, that's sort of going to get them more interested in eating fruits and yeah, vegetables? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. It's, it's, it's theatre. At the end of the day, the, the age group that we've been looking to to to, uh, to attract are, are sort of four to eleven. Um, and if if you do something un, unusual, like having um, a three hundred kilo bike in a, in a school assembly hall, and me and you get the headmaster on the bike, and you do uh, various games to, to get everyone excited about it, they just remember it, um, and it just works so well. Um, and the main point of it being that they go away with a smile on their face holding an apple hopefully eating that apple rather than eating a chalky bar or or even worse um supping on a on an energy drink so i'm absolutely convinced that what we've done to date and what we're looking to do um, ongoing is working and will work well, you've managed to meld motorcycles in with your quest to to bring fruit to the forefront for young children and getting them to understand more about it how'd you come up with this uh, it's it's because uh, it, you, 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 you know where I'm coming from, right? I mean, it's not really. I mean, you hold up the fruit and you look at the bike, and uh, you know, I'm not seeing the connection. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Where this? I'm I'm an individual who's always uh, busy. Um, I always want to be doing something, and I've and I've run multiple events over the years, whether it be comedy nights and such like. Uh, the 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 catalyst for this was three years ago. Uh, you're going to have to help me with the, with the terminology for, uh, for for you guys over in, in Canada and the states. But there's a there's a big craze in the UK for hiring motorhomes. Um, so what would you call them? Um, yeah, motorhomes. Yeah, RVs. Thank you. So so three years ago, uh, myself, my wife Claire, my three kids, two dogs, two Labradors, we hired a motorhome and we went um, traveling around um, uh, Scotland and we ended up in a in a gorgeous um, uh, island called the Isle, Isle of Mull, um, and we went wild camping. Um, and it was in the morning. Everyone was uh, slowly awakening. Um, all these uh, kids make, making all the all the all the, all the noises of uh, wake, waking up in the morning, looking out, uh, fantastic vista. Uh, and then that halcyon call came out from Claire saying, "The boys have blocked the toilet again." And uh, these motorhomes, so they have a portable toilet, obviously in them. So I go out. I got an apple in my mouth. I'm, I'm in my excuse, excuse my terminology. I'm in my shag pants, my, my pajamas with my t-shirt on. Thinking this is a this is fantastic. What a great day! Just got to clean this toilet, um, and I pull out this toilet cartridge, and uh, there, there's something wrong with it. And then I opened it. Unknown to me, my two boys had somehow managed to pressurize it, 
don't ask me how. So I've got this app on my mouth. I'm in my shag pants, my, my pajamas. I unlock this thing and it explodes in my face. So I'm, I'm covered in, you know, just, just stuff. I've got this app on my face and, I, I, and, I, and I'm starting to shake with that sort of rage that we all have when we stub our toe, but it's, a, it's the next level on. And I'm thinking, well, come on, think of something positive. Think of something positive. Plan something, plan something. Um, and I, after I'd... Uh, clean myself off and uh, uh, put the toilet back and re-engage with my boys. I, we, we started driving around uh, the, the Isle of Mull and I started thinking about this project and my, uh, my my ongoing concern about this whole obesity thing, about what I've got all these contacts with them, fresh produce in, in the UK and, and uh, internationally. How can I how, how can I take them to the next level? I'd always been listening to your podcast. I'd always been interested in, in, in motorbikes. I hadn't got my license um, I'd always had a farm bike, um, followed the, the 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 typical Charlie Borman and Ewan McGregor's and, and all that stuff and, and started to construct this idea about, well, if I did this trip um, and did it, I don't know, London to Beijing, oh, no, that doesn't work because it's a bit grey, isn't it, going, going, to, going to Asia. Um, what about London to Cape Town? Oh, no, that, that'll work because it's really colourful and there's so much fresh produce. Perhaps if we could construct that, we could create this project around it and we could get people to follow us and kids could follow us and it might work. So three years on, um, two weeks ago, my, myself and my, my um, riding buddy, Gareth Jones, we, we completed this trip um, and Jim, here we are. It's, it, was, it was a huge success, but we've only scratched the surface of, uh, of what we're looking to do. So you could say it started with a big bang. Uh, yes. I yeah, couldn't a, resist. A, 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 big, a big brown bang. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my group of friends always say that the best thing about having kids is to drive to work on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that story of you unplugging that toilet is something your kids love to tell. Yes, yes, because we all know what. And, and actually all the school presentations I do, you have to bring in a bit of toilet humor because because kids absolutely, absolutely love a bit what of toilet humour. I don't know. And, and, and you can just see the headmaster or the headmistress is cringing, but yeah. the kids are laughing and, uh, and, and getting engaged. That's the main thing. So what was the idea with this? You, you were going to get on your motorcycles and you're going to ride to Cape Town? Correct. So, so where it then comes in is, is what I do for a living, um, that I, I run a recruitment business in, in fresh produce. So, so most of your listeners will know what recruitment businesses do. Um, and and there are, um, in life, there's some very specific recruitment businesses. So you might get a recruitment business just working on architects or just working on software um, engineers. We just work in fresh produce. So we source middle management to um, senior level, board level people in fresh produce um, in the UK, in Africa, in America, in um, in Australia. And we've always done a lot of recruitment work in, in Africa. Um, so I thought, well, I've got all these contacts. If I if I if I contact them to sort of sense check them, that um, I stated to them that I was going to come in and see them in in two, two and a half years time, would they be up for that? Would, would they be able to look after us? Would they be happy for us to, to film and to, to take photos of the great produce so that we could educate kids? And I, I was a bit skeptical as to the reception I was going to get. Uh, but when I contacted the first, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 companies, individuals, got an overwhelming uh, response back, hugely positive, really keen. They then spread it within the network, and then then we got to go, we actually went the other way. We got too overloaded with so many people uh, want, wanting to see us. So so that's that's how it all worked initially. Just pulling on our network within within Africa, um, and with them endorsing it, that the project was a go. 
Now, you were trying to really educate kids that were in the UK, I assume. So what were you doing? Were you, were you filming and posting this as you go down or is it something you do when you come back? Um, uh, both. So, uh, yes, I, I started off being UK centric. Um, that very quickly turned into UK Europe centric. Um, then we got talking to Africa. There's, there's a huge problem, as a number of your listeners will know who've traveled throughout Africa, there's a huge problem of urbanization in Africa that 10 of the biggest, fastest growing cities in the world are in Africa. And so many people that we met on a, on a rural basis, that the kids think that the, the, the success for them career-wise is to go into the cities, but it's not because they just end up being taxi drivers or, or God forbid, um, um, even, even worse. So within Africa, we've ended up looking to educate children in the schools that um, uh, fresh produce and farming is a, is a great way to go. And that's going to be another stage of our project as to how we educate everyone, whether it be in the UK, Europe um, and Africa, about why fresh produce, why, why um, ag, agriculture is such a great career to be involved in. Oh, I guess that sort of that really would open their eyes to something they may otherwise look at as just a, um, sort of a boring thing to do, like sort of farming. I mean, how exciting is that? But when you understand what effect you have with your farming. Yep. And at this point in time, I have to give you an example that really, really sparked my interest. I, I have a love of farming and, and fresh produce. It's not that long ago. It was only four weeks ago. Myself and Gareth were in the um, Hex River Valley in South Africa. And, and the most stunning thing to see on a food production basis is grapes, table grapes, um, because it, it's, it's, it's just immaculate. It's, it is, um, it's like a, um, an immaculately woven tapestry seeing 10 hectare blocks of the most amazing grape being grown. Um, and we were in the middle of this um, grape vineyard with this um, fantastic grape grower. And I was holding the, uh, this grape in my, my hand that was about to be harvested the, the next day, just admiring the, the, what, what nature has produced. And um, this, uh, this, this farmer, uh, Gabriel, he, and I, I don't know if, if you've come across this, um, Jim, that's in South Africa. When you sit down with a meal, for a meal with um, South Africans, they will all hold hands to bless the food and to bless the guests that, uh, that, that you're with. And it's being a typical English individual, it's quite, it's, it's quite uh, alarming when, when you first do it. But when, when you get into it, it's, it's actually very tactile and, and you really feel... The, the the love around that uh, that that table for the people and and the food. So I'm in this um, vineyard. I'm holding this um, um, handful of grapes, and the, this chap Gabriel says, "Max, just hold my hand." Um, so I've got my right hand holding this grape. He grabs my um, my my left hand. He then, with his left hand, holds the grape, and he says to me, "Max, we grow sunshine. We grow sunshine." And and to me, that was this 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 lightning rod moment of. My crikey, he does. He grows sunshine. What an amazing thing. And after we sort of backed away um, and um, got back into the, um, the, the, the bucky, the, um, the, the, um, the, the pickup, I said, Gabriel, is it okay if we use that phrase um, for, for when I'm speaking to kids? Because it's so powerful yeah. that you grow sunshine, you grow goodness, you grow health, um, because that's going to counter all these horrible sugary drinks and um, sugary food. Max, use it. Anything to, anything to get people to buy more South African grapes, that would be fantastic. So we've used it um, ever since. And it's, it, it, it is hugely emotional, but it's hugely true because ev everyone growing something is growing sunshine. Let's talk about the nuts and bolts of this trip. You said you spent uh, two years, two and a half years to prep for it. Now, as far as bike prep goes, were you packing the bike up and, and you and someone else was riding down, that's it? Or do you have a support vehicle or how did you do it? 
Well, well, let's go back a bit because, um, Jim, I need to credit yourself um, because I, I got into this when I, when I started um, reading certain magazines, but I needed information. I needed information quickly to uh, to find out how to do this because I'm not an adventure uh, motorcyclist. Even though I've done 18,500 kilometers with Gareth, I still am not. I'm, I'm very much an amateur listening to your podcast and listening to your experts that you've had on, I've gleaned so much from that, as well as a, a number of books that have been recommended on, on your podcast. So um, bless you, sir. All credit for everything that you've done for me to make a success um, of this trip. So let's, let's get to nuts and bolts of it. So um, two months before we went, uh, we, we had 200 quid, 200 pounds in our sponsorship account and no motorbikes. We had a website set up um, we had the launch date, but nothing was uh, was set ready to go. But just like these things, um, if if you push, 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 um, it always always comes good. Um, we were very fortuitous that um, Triumph came to the party um, and realised that we were different um, and we were going to attract a completely different audience for them um, over and above the the standard people that would look to buy motorbikes um, from them. Um, and also, we, we managed to gain some fantastic sponsors from uh, from from our sector. So two months before we were going, it was a bit hairy. A week before we were going, we were very well funded and we had um, fantastic motorbikes. So motorbikes, um, uh, Triumph very kindly presented us with um, two Triumph Tiger um, 800s um, XCAs, absolutely stock with um, uh, metal panniers. Um, they came through, um, the, the lead from Globebusters came through Globebusters. Um, I've known Julian uh, and Kevin Sanders at uh, Globebusters for, for a while and um, and they've been requested and instructed by a Triumph that if you're coming across anything quirky, anyone who could be a trip ambassador for uh, for Triumph, we'd, we would love to, to hear from them. So they very kindly introduced us to, to Triumph. The, the thing I love about the the bikes that we picked up was that the the bikes were in the in the in the Triumph um, training fleet uh, with Globebusters. I'm, I'm sure you've got the same thing in the, in Canada and also in the states. That if you look to buy uh, an adventure bike of, of of whatever whatever badge, um, rightly so, that the dealers would try and upsell you um, some training. Um, and with uh, within the UK, the training goes through Kevin and uh, Julia with um, with Globebusters. So these bikes, they were born in February last year, February 2016, and they'd um, both done a, uh, a trip out to Iceland um, on a on a on a training route, um, on on a training trip. So they've both done something like 3,000, 5,000 kilometres each before they came back to the UK. Before myself and Gareth inherited them. Uh, before we set off on the um, on the trip, so yeah, absolutely proud to say that we were presented these bikes um, and they were absolutely stock. So we then set off beginning of November, finished at the beginning of February, eighteen and a half thousand kilometres, um, and we didn't even get a puncture. Um, it was getting a bit boring checking the uh, the, le- the levels on the bikes because <laughs> you needed there, a there, breakdown. There, because there was yeah, it's like what? Come on, someone, something, <laughs> something happened. So no, we we uh, fantastic bikes. Um, some people might might question um, as to how hard did we push the the bikes, and th- there was a slight difference with our trip in comparison to some of the trips of some of your expert riders. That um, um, the the bulk of of what we did, 90 percent, was um, was on road um, because you can you can virtually do um, uh, London to, to to Cape Town on tar. Uh, we did um, have some fairly hairy bits, um, uh, which were off off road. But again, the, the bikes, the Triumphs handled them with no issue whatsoever. A Tiger 800 
XCA. That's a really nice bike. That is a big bike for a first ride. Yeah, and and it's it was even compounded by by me that I took my test uh, two years ago to do this ride. Um, Gareth had um, had been riding for for thirty odd years, so he had far more um, experience than me, and and like and, and rightly so, he was a bit concerned about my my, my ability to to do it. But going back to Triumph, we we did initially think about um, using the as they call it the Halo product, the uh, the Triumph Explorer. But that, that's a 1300, 1300, 1200, 1300, and that's another I'm guessing about about another 50, 60 kilos on top. Um, yeah, going back to the bikes that we had, fully loaded uh, with um, spare fuel. That yeah, they were bubbling around the 300k mark, um, and and the couple of time, the few times that we dropped them, yeah, it was a two man job to to to, to pick them up. Um, but um, when when you got going, uh, you got used to them. You, you got used to to, to the weight. Um, and the best thing I, I liked about them was that um, I'm, I'm not overly tall. I'm only five foot ten. But you could you could plant both feet on the ground, and so it gave you that that security when you did have an issue and you did have to uh, have to get your feet on the ground quickly. So you were stopping at different uh, growing operations on your way through this adventure, right from top to bottom. And you're doing the adventure just like everybody else does as well. You're still doing the border crossings and everything. What, were there complications of doing the two? Oh, bo- bo- <laughs> Jim, why did you not tell me about border crossings? <laughs> you must have missed that on one of the shows. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, think I, I think I did, but I think I just uh, skirted over it. We, we didn't have any great issues uh, with with border crossing, it, but it's um and, and and according to Gareth and according to other people that we spoke to, we got off quite lightly. But when so the the first big major border crossing I did was from Morocco into Mauritania, and uh, the the Moroccan side is is hugely bureaucratic, and, and nothing makes any sense. There's there's no real real guidance, and you're jumping around from hut to hut, shed to shed, and, and then you you cross this litter strewn strewn um one kilometer piece of tarmac, immaculate tarmac, but with plastic bottles everywhere. Then, then the road runs out and then you're in a minefield. But, but we're in a minefield. And then there's UN trucks. And I go, why are there UN trucks? Um, a guy shouts to me, oh, because it's a war zone. Oh, it's a war zone. All right, we'll just keep, keep going through the minefield, past the UN trucks through the war. And then you get into um, Mauritania. Um, and, and Mauritania, it's is. You thought the last border crossing was bad. There's there's no roads. You you got fixers everywhere who who are perhaps not looking to rob you, but perhaps influence you out of your money. Um, and it's utter utter chaos. <laughs> and so that that was a complete baptism of, uh, of of fire. But as you get through these border crossings, you, you guys get a sort of more resilient to to them, and you get more more uh, war weary um, of them. But yeah. I, Every time we hit a border crossing, my heart did tend to sink. Um, and when we crossed the last border crossing in um, from uh, South Africa to Swaziland, it was like a triumphant joy. Whoa, we, we've done we've done the um, done, done the last one. Can, can I can I tell you about the border crossing that we did um, into into Ghana? Because that, that was hilarious. Yeah, I like that. Um, we come into uh, the top of um, Ghana, and uh, I get told off for taking pictures, rightly so, because it's a, a secure area, and and we do. Our, our passports we'd already pre-booked our visas because Ghana was one of the few few uh, visas that we had to get back in back in the UK um, and crikey were, were, were they expensive but we go into this um, secure um, uh, police area and I slip uh, my, myself and uh, gas uh, bike carnets on, under the security counter 
And if, if any listeners don't know, with, with the bikes, they have to have their own passports, which are called uh, carnet de passage. Um, and, and, and these are, are, are just so important, these, these documents, because you've got to get them stamped because we paid a bond for them back in, the, uh, back in the UK. And if they're not stamped correctly, we don't get um, a percentage of the bond back when, when the bikes get back. So we get into this um, uh, security um, area, slip the carnets under the security um, um, uh, window thingy, and the uh, police officer, this young guy uh, behind the screen, says, uh, "Sir, you have a problem with the with the, with your carnets. They're they're not correct. You're going to have to go back into your previous country, go back to the capital, and get them restamped. And this this is going to add uh, three days to our trip. It was going to be a nightmare because of um, all of the the visits that we we had uh, booked up. So I said to him." Uh, learning from Gareth, the, 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 the whys and ways of getting around Africa. Um, sir, is there not a way around this? I'm thinking that we would, might have to pay him um, something for his Friday evening. And uh, he looked at me square in the eyes and he said, let me ride your motorbike. So I said, okay, uh, fine. Uh, so I slipped my keys uh, for, the, for the Triumph under the, um, un, under the counter and he grabbed the keys, uh, shot up from, from his desk, went through the, the secure door, um, shot out to the bike, uh, put, put my helmet on, put my jacket on, uh, helped him start the bike, thinking he wasn't going to take any any further. Started up, and woof, he was gone. Um, so, so um, Gareth and I are looking at each other, and I'm thinking, well, I've just done the most stupidest thing you could possibly do. I've just sent this uh, th- this young police officer off on my bike into Ghana, and it's not my bike because it belongs to Triumph. And we're down a bike. What? 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 And then at this point, the whole of the um, immigration passport office came out. There must have been 20, 30 of them and probably because the, the, they're coming out to see they're saying i can't believe it this guy just he, gave him the keys <laughs> I, I know, I know, exactly and it's obviously the highlight of the, the month um and they're, they're all starting to get quite excited about this uh this chap's return and it turned out this this uh, police officer was called felix um and i'm getting a bit bit more concerned getting a bit more concerned 10 minutes has passed uh, we're getting up to 15 minutes, and I, I asked one of his uh, one of his colleagues, um, your 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 colleague is is he is he is he going to return? Oh yeah yeah, do not worry, Felix is is he is he is good. He's a fantastic rider. At that point in time, we heard this um, uh, Triumph UK cover your ears at this point, this screaming motorbike coming coming back, <laughs> and in comes in comes um, Felix at uh, at at a fair rate of knots. You can obviously see he's a far far better rider than me. Brings it to um, to to halt right where I parked it. Puts the side stand side stand down. Hops off. Gives me the keys. Huge cheer and applause from all of his colleagues. Uh, he then ushers me inside. Uh, stamps my paperwork. Gareth and I get the hell out of there <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> so uh, that was going to be one of my questions. I, I was going to ask you how you handled bribes, but clearly you've got your own unique methods. <laughs> yeah, just 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 give them the keys, Jim. It just just work, works every every time, every time. Is that a method you would recommend to other people who might run into the same thing? Um, it's 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 up to them. Um, it's it's prob- probably a bit easier if it's not actually officially your bike. Although the, the V5 was uh, <laughs> signed, signed over, uh, so the registration documents in the UK were signed over to me for um, the purposes of the carnet. But no, probably not. I, I just, Tim, I just did not anticipate he was going to grab the keys and go. And it was the look on Gareth's face when he saw this young man Felix go. Um, but but it saved us three days and and it worked. And I didn't have to phone up Triumph to say, uh, we have lost your motorbike. Um, and I didn't end up in jail because there was a, there was a Ghanaian policeman um, in a hospital with lots of broken broke, broken. That's why I was wondering, what happens if the bike goes down? Is he going to blame you for that? I mean, I- Yeah, no, no, but it, it didn't happen. It, it, it didn't happen, Jim, so there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> so how long did the trip take? Um, it took us uh, just on three months. 
Um, yeah, j- j- just on three months to do. Three months. And how far was it? Um, 18 and a half thousand kilometers. So you've got to feel like you've come out a much better, much more experienced rider at this point. Oh, oh totally. Um, t- t- totally. It's, yeah, the, it, it was, it was a bit of a, a shock to the system to, to get going. And yeah, actually probably the, Probably the worst bit that Gareth and I did, and we, we definitely agreed on this. We we did we had a big send off from uh, New Spitterfields Market, which which is uh, one of the UK's um, largest produce markets, right in the heart of London. And we set off from there on November the eighth. Um, Two hundred people, um, TV and press, fifty kids um, um, sending us off, and um, uh, we went straight down to uh, Portsmouth, which is one of our cities on um, on on the south coast of the of the UK. And the, and the worst bit actually was the drive from London to Portsmouth because our, our roads, we're, we're a little island. We've got 70 odd million people um, in, in the UK and our roads, especially our motorways are very congested. Um, so that, that was the bit that, uh, that, that, that frightened me thinking, crikey, Max, have you got the ability to actually do this? Uh, if you're feeling frightened about going, <laughs> going to Portsmouth on this uh, um, slightly weird bike, because we'd only had the bikes. Um, um, to two or three weeks, so we were still getting used to them on the on the way down. But yeah, but by, by the time we were um, throwing them around in, in in Kenya or Zambia or Zimbabwe or Swaziland, yeah, we, we were we were fully used to them and uh, to- totally fell in love with them. So yeah, if it if you want a good indoctrination on how to ride a motorbike uh, well uh, with a, with a couple of spills, yeah, do definitely do London to, London to Cape Town. It's a huge thing you put together and you had a lot of people, I guess, counting on you by the time you left, depending on you doing what you said you wanted to do. And as a newbie rider and sort of a newbie adventurer of this style, was there a time where you sort of felt like, hey, I'm, I think I might be in over my head? Um, I don't I don't think so, actually, because the bikes, the bikes were so um, comfortable to do, uh, to, to, to ride. I think the only time I, I felt over my head was um, actually um, just going back to border crossings when when we had a problem when we came into Senegal that um, they, they 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 did refuse to stamp the carnets and even my trick of giving them the keys wouldn't, wouldn't work and um, they were talking about us having to go to, to Dakar which we weren't planning to do and that was going to add another uh, two three four days and put us completely out of timetable wise so it's just that fr- frustration element of it I, I think it's like like anything it's the things that you worry about Jim don't don't happen um and i, and I learned that from a, a number of your um other far, far more experienced um, riders that you just just do it it is if, if things happen that they, they they always work out as as with that particular issue in in senegal um that we had this big issue with, with the carnets and we went to the farm that we were due to see and um they, they sorted it for us and that there was no issue whatsoever the things you worry about don't happen so mm. any concerns i had about been a newbie on on a bike. I had Gareth with me, who's hugely experienced, and one reason why I, I looked to find him in in the first place. And we had all this support all, all the all the way down that that we had nothing to worry about. And um, I, I could say that because we we completed the trips successfully. I'm glad you said that because that really is true with everything in life, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you've got to, like I always say, worry is a wasted emotion and I, and I truly believe it is. But I think planning due diligence, absolutely. You, you do what you can in advance like you did and then you go and you do it. You let the, you know, the chips fall where they may, so to speak. Yeah, but and just let me give you um, a, a direct example that we were um, we were we were told by numerous people that you're going to have big, you're going to get kidnapped. Um, you, you're going to get mugged. You, you're going to have huge issues. 
Um, and, and especially going, um, I'm looking through my map because I, I can't remember the particular country, Bacona Faso, huge issues. Oh, no, I got it wrong. Uh, Mali, huge issues with them, um, with ISIS. Um, and and you, you, Max Gareth, you're definitely going to get kidnapped. Um, it, you're going to have a huge problem. Um, that, that was told to us from the K side, from oh, perhaps experienced travellers. When we got into Senegal, we, we started asking the, the locals. And when, when we got into um, southeastern Senegal, we, we stayed with a lovely uh, missionary um, couple, an American missionary couple, um, who'd heard about us and um, invited us via the Facebook page to come and um, stay with them. Um, and we were 60 kilometers from the, the, the Mali border. And, and we said to them, we, we got this, we were really worried um, about, this, about this because we've heard that there's no decent road through Mali to Burkina Faso, and we're going to have this problem with terrorism. And we got we got a fantastic spot tracker that everyone's following us on, and we've been told to turn that off. What 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 do you reckon? And they said rubbish. They said it's a lovely country. You're going to meet some lovely people. The road is fantastic. Um, any problems at the very north of the of, of the country, um, you won't have any worries what 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 whatsoever. And they were absolutely spot on. Uh, the road that didn't exist from the reports that we had was one of the best roads we came across in Western Africa. All the people we met were, were, were fantastic. And we we didn't have any issues. We didn't have any issues of um, anyone trying to extort us, over, overly bribe us, no mugging threats, no, nothing. All, all we got was fantastic smiles, Jim, all of the way through Africa. Now, because you made that trip without any problems to speak of, big problems, do you consider that the whole area is safe or do you think that it's, um, you know, something that still has to be taken with a, a yeah, degree re- of caution? Um, really, really good question. Um, Africa, um, the only thing you can predict about Africa is change. So it's a year ago, we were going to go into Nigeria and we were going to air freight ourselves from from Nigeria to Kenya um, but then the foreign office and our, our contacts within uh, within the trade that we, we work in said that no, no, Nigeria is looking a bit iffy. Um, our suggestion would be to um, on the western side stop in uh, in Ghana um, and then get it yeah, yourself air freighted over. And in Ghana, interestingly enough, um, we we rattled into Ghana um, ugh, three days before the presidential elections, which, which were happening something like the eighth, ninth of December. Um, and the, the fantastic fresh produce company that that looked after us, hosted us in, in Ghana. They said, "Yeah, fully understand um, your timetable, but please take our advice. Get yourselves into our guest houses, our guest accommodation, and, and we will look after you." Uh, because anywhere around election time in any African country, it gets a bit crazy on the roads that people may have a little bit too much of the um, of the of the amb- amber nectar, and you, you might have a problem. Um, so it's. It it is being not blase about it, being positive about it, but taking that local advice. If the local advice says, "Yeah, you're good to go, just get on with it," or and if the local advice says, "Calm down, there's a problem here, just sit tight for two days," take that local advice. Yeah, and that's something you're checking as you're going. Abs- absolutely, and and that, that comes on to uh, just the most amazing thing for traveling through Africa: WhatsApp. <laughs> so the the um, the whole western side of um, of Africa, unbelievably, we had three G, four G, all the way down, um, even through the um, uh, Mauritania, through the Sahara Desert. Africa has just evolved past landlines; haven't, haven't even got to landlines. They just moved straight on to um, uh, to mobiles, and so you only needed literally one bar of um, of three G to be able to get WhatsApp messages in and out. And because we were relatively well organised as to where we're going to go to next, we we could um, 
request of the of the contacts where we're going to next a day two days four days down the line um any problems we should be aware of um any recommendations on accommodation where should we get literally where should we go at this turning that we're coming up to in 50k's left or right and and they were more than more than happy to help so it's been a big boon i think to the to the traveler to be able to have that um that that communication what did you do for sim cards could you buy a sim card that covers all of africa yeah no i <laughs> um I, I, have on my UK network, I have, um, I'm on Vodafone and with Vodafone, you can, um, upskill to uh, world traveler. So, so you, you pay five pound a day. Um, if you use your data, use your phone, use your um, text messaging. Um, so I'd have, I would have the data off most of the time. Uh, but if we had an issue or needed to find some direction, I, I would turn the, the, the data back on, um, get the messaging and push it out again. What, what I'm a bit worried about is, and Jim, you promised not to tell anyone this. Oh no, just between you, you and and everyone who's yeah, okay. listening. Great, great. It's a, it's a, it's, my, it's, a, it's a business phone, and and uh, Ian, <laughs> my business partner, he he runs the accounts, and I didn't tell him I set up my business phone on this world traveler thing. Um, and when I got into Kenya, I seemed to catch up with all the text messages from West Africa saying that you've used too much data. We've charged you a hundred pound extra. You've used too much data. We've charged you two hundred and fifty pound extra. So I think at month's end of February. We're going to get we're going to get a bill in from <laughs> from from our our provider uh, Vodafone and that goes straight into Ian's email. So when when I, <laughs> when, I when I see him fall over in the chair, he's 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 going to want to have a word with me. But I, I'm going to try and be out that day. But yeah, no, that's that's how I got around around it. We Gareth did have um, uh, a, a spare phone, but it, but it was just far easier to just use my phone to dip in in and out uh, when, when we had not not issues, but we just needed that communication side. That is so classic, you know, to go somewhere with your phone and your provider says, no, we've, we've got you covered. Because when you said $5 flat rate, I was thinking, okay, that's great. What a, what yeah, a good deal right. you have. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there are yeah, but, limits. Yeah, you, you hit the data. You've been using your Facebook. You've been, well, I suppose if, you, if you're uploading pictures of, um, of the Sahara Desert onto Facebook <laughs> in, in the Sahara Desert, I suppose, I suppose you do have to pay for it, don't you? Well, you didn't even try it then and, and get a local SIM card. You just depended on that. Oh, we, we did a couple of times, but it was, um, uh, bizarrely, the garages that we came across um, that we were filling up with didn't um, sell SIM cards. And I, I know a, a lot of street vendors um, sell them, but it was just um, a lot. A, I just found it a lot easier to um, to use that, um, uh, my, my own mobile. And and, and Jim, if, if it, um, I'm going to say this under my breath, if, if it costs us 500 quid um, in, in data um, to make sure that Gareth and I was, were safe, um, it worked. I must just tell you a, a great story I love. When, when we're in Senegal, um, Orange is the predominant mobile network there. So every 10, 15 kilometers, because it's so flat in, in Western Africa, you, you have these big receivers, which are just pumping out the mobile signal down all the all the main routes. Um, the, uh, the Senegalese government looked to introduce uh, attacks um, against Orange because the Orange presumably making so much money from um um, from from the mobile network, um, so Senegalese government uh, looking to introduce this tax, and it was going to come in at uh, midnight on a, on a on a particular day. So that the tax came in, um, and what did Orange do? Um, instantly, they turned off the whole mobile network for for, for, for the whole of um, Senegal. Um, and uh, we, we've heard of food rights in the in the past because we're we are so wired in. Now to the internet, even so in, in Africa and even at um, in the middle of the night, um, this started to cause problems for the um, Senegalese um, government. So 
Orange turned off the mobile network at, uh, at, at midnight. The Senegalese government were phoning Orange at four o'clock in the morning saying, don't worry, don't worry, we, we stopped the tax. We stopped the tax. Turn it back on. Turn it back on. <laughs> so, so it just shows the power, the power of the mobile network within, um, within Africa. What do you think that you, I, mean, I know you had a lot of contacts already in Africa and you probably dealt a lot um, with Africa before going on this trip. What sort of things did you find out about Africa that you didn't know before you left? Um, what, what two, two things. Um, oh, the, the friendliness of people. Oh, crikey. I, I, Jim, I can't tell you the number of times whichever country we were in, you pull up at um, traffic lights and you just ended up talking to people. Y- yes, you've got to have that positivity and you, you might have to um, look to give a high five to the taxi driver who's a bit cheapest about who you are. But as soon as you've done that, the conversation started to... Um, to, to, to flow and that they're, they're so intrigued as to who you are and what you are and if you're friendly to them oh crikey that everyone in Africa is so so generous with the with the, with the happiness I've, I've created quite a few problems actually since I've come back because <laughs> I've tried when I've when I've been on my motorbike back in the UK I've only been back two weeks and I've tried to have conversations with, with people at traffic lights and, and they, they they just think you're a nutter and but in Africa everyone is so warm and friendly. So it, it is that bit. If people are, are worried about doing this trip, thinking that they're going to get jumped on at, um, at, at traffic lights or any, everyone is, and petrol tendencies as well, everyone is so, so friendly. So it's that bit about Africa. It is such a happy country. You, you could go into Malawi, which is the poorest country in the world. Um, 50% of the population is under 25. So they've got this huge endemic population crisis, but they're happy poor. They're so happy. So the, the, there's that element of it. The other element is pioneers, um, and it might have been biased towards uh, the, the, the trip that Gareth and I did, um, but everywhere that we went, all we met was pioneers of, of people um, either in, in recent times. So what's an example? Um, in Senegal, we, we stayed with a, an amazing business, uh, West Africa Farms, um, and it was uh, uh, Rick and Amanda, who are South African, who went there five years ago, and there was nothing um, in the area that they they were in, this very remote area of um, of, um, of Senegal. Within five years, they're growing a, a thousand hectares of spring onions and uh, radishes for, for the UK market, and employing a thousand people, all because of those two being pioneers. Uh, Rick being the farmer, uh, and Amanda um, having set up a whole school for all all of the all of the workers. To then go to South Africa, um, what was an example? Um, H.A. Hall, who are one of the world's, um, one of Africa's biggest um, avocado growers, uh, Mr. Hall himself, he, he went to, into the Nesbitt area 125 years ago, and it was rife of, uh, with malaria and uh, yellow fever. But he saw that there were two rivers that very unusually for Africa flowed uh, 12 months of the year, year in, year out. And he thought this is the place to plant a farm um, and one day there'll be a railway line coming through here. Um, and you move it forward 125 years, it is uh, one of the best avocado farms in, in the whole of um, um, Africa because it's, it's, got, uh, cause it's got water, it's got uh, available water. So it, it was that friendliness, Jim, and, and the pioneering spirit of, uh, of Africa that, that really, really impressed me. Is Africa the main supplier of fruits for, to the UK? <laughs> Um, no, it, it gets a little bit complicated because um, not not to bore your listeners. Post Brexit, it's it's not very uh, good for them currency wise to um, export a lot of fruit and into the UK at the moment. But it's, all these um, uh, things are, are very very cyclical. Uh, but the likes of South Africa, they grow four and a half million tons of produce that they export. 
Um, so a lot of it comes to uh, the the UK and Europe, and a lot of it now goes to um, uh, to, to Asia. So there's a lot of product that uh, that we eat in the UK and Europe that does come that does come from Africa. Mm. Interesting. Wh- where do you go now? You've you've done the trip. You've got a bunch of footage there. You've had an incredible experience. You're going to share this experience with the kids. How do you do that? Well, if we look at where where we are at the moment, so our, our website, um, the Great Fruit Adventure. Um, that had a quarter of a million hits uh, whilst we we're on the road. Our Facebook page has been amazing. We, we've got over a hundred thousand likes, um, we, which is fantastic. Um, I, I can't find anything to compare that to, against within our trade within within our um, sector. Um, and we've got uh, five hundred schools um, in the UK and Europe who are signed up to us, actively following us. So, so that's over a um, quarter of a million kids. So just on um, on the on the trip side, now that we've got the collateral. Of, of the trip and the the uh, the film the, the the photos we're looking to set up um, a book series uh, the great fruit adventure as to where produce comes from where pineapple comes from where avocado comes from and we're going to duplicate that on um, on film and have a whole online um, offering as well um, and I would love to set up a, a theater tour um, I got I got this vision of having um, I'm sure you've got the same thing in uh, Canada gym that in the UK we got uh, large, large theatres that will hold um, 1,000, 1,500 um, and to be able to get uh, a bunch of schools in midweek, have a couple of um, triumphs up there, have a, a great, fun, exciting, interactive presentation, getting uh, teachers dressed up in avocado costumes and, and getting kids to do um, things with uh, with fresh produce that um, they didn't know in the, in, the, in the way of eating it and the tasting of it. And they all go away with a with with grab bag. And telling uh, a, a number of the stories um, and of of, of uh, the trip that Gareth and I did, um, and getting some special um, uh, guests in, I'd love to be able to get that set up and to roll that out into Europe and do that in Africa and also get get that over to the likes of Canada and America as well. It comes back to the start of our conversation. If you do something different with with kids and get them excited about about fresh produce, and there's all these. Um, uh, exciting, crazy connotations with with motorbikes and, and and long trips, and everyone has a smile and everyone can see that produce is sunshine. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to work very, very well. We have got plans for the Great Fruit Adventure South America in 2018, 2019. That's um, we've got a, a, a number of um, fresh produce contacts out there, and uh, Triumph are very keen to get involved with that as well. So we'll just see how we get on with um, collecting everything that we've gained from this initial trip and getting that pushed out and get, getting as many kids informed about uh, fresh produce as, as possible. And then if I'm allowed domestically and um, if Ian in the office doesn't shoot me for my um, £500 uh, incoming mobile bill, we'll, we'll, we'll look to do the, do the same uh, for South America in a couple of years' time. Have you talked with kids that have seen your presentation and saw, or at least have some examples of different ways that they think of fruit and vegetables now because of your presentation? Yeah, totally, because it's, um, they say it's tangible. It's just like um, anything. With, um, with anything that you buy, you touch, you feel, you eat, it's all about taste. So if you have a range of, of products in front of a, a child and, and they taste um, avocado, they taste mango, they taste papaya, uh, they, they taste pineapple, especially if they, if they do it um, blindfold and, and they're, they're asked to to guess what the um, what the food is. They, they just get it, and it's a, it's a memory that is that is then set 
um, and, and then we'll be with them uh, for, for, for ever and a day. And just using this this conduit of, um, of the bike trip that, that Gareth and I did just adds that extra spice to it. So rather than being uh, grey and pale and turning up at a, at a school and telling them, wagging their finger, you must eat more fruit and veg. And you can imagine what all kids would say. Um, it just doesn't work. If you if you get them excited about it, get them seeing this amazing journey that, that we did through Africa, get them to have a look at the motorbike, touch a motorbike that's done 18,500 kilometres through South Africa um, and eat fruit and veg as, as part of that process. It's, it just works. It's like, I can't think of another expression, Jim. It's just like a tattoo. It just 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 works on the on on their mindsets, um, and so they get so excited by it. So the website's set up for people to go and look at, see what the adventure was all about. There's also places where schools can sign up. There, you've got videos yep. on there, the whole bit. Absolutely, and Jim, that's again all credit to yourself and and the the guests that you've had on before. I'm I'm probably slightly unusual in in some of the people that you've had on. To, to to your fan, fantastic podcast because I, I needed I needed a, excuse me I needed a vehicle to be able to excite people about eating um, better and for me that turned out to be a motorbike trip from from London to um, to, to Cape Town just just to be different um, and as it's still early days but but at this point in time it seems to have worked really really well you need to check up on us your, your listeners need to check up on us in six months um 12 months two years down the line to see whether we've been able to um to boss this to, to be able to accelerate what gareth and i achieved on, on the actual physical trip itself well max it sounds like you're doing a great thing here and uh, thank you very much for coming on and telling us about it i think from here i'm gonna go have a smoothie <laughs> well done jim well done and that was Max McGilvery from The Great Fruit Adventure. You can find out more about what they're doing, www.thegreatfruitadventure.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Scott Wright is the owner of IMS Products, and Scott himself is a, a serious rider, racer too, as a matter of fact. He's a former Baja 1000 winner. And Scott stands behind his foot pegs that are made for adventure riders. IMS Products is a household name in the racing scene. They're known for their fueling systems and their shift levers, and now for a range of some really nice foot pegs. I was talking with Scott a few weeks back, and he was telling me just what goes into the design of the foot pegs. And we talked about different things like the design of the teeth and the design of even the angles of the undercut on the underside is meant so that it doesn't hold mud in there, so that the mud actually drops out. It's called a watershed design. But he said that they even test them by crushing them in a press to the point where the inner parts of the peg were touching. And when they released it, there was no damage except for the mark where the two sides contacted. Now, of course, you and I will never do that to our foot pegs. We'll never put them to that kind of abuse. But it does say something about the, the IMS dedication to quality. I mean, I, re I really like that. These are cast certified 17.4 stainless steel foot pegs that not only look great, but for me, and I'm, I have them on my bike, they've done a lot for the feeling and handling of the bike. It's, it's incredible. So made in the USA with a lifetime warranty, www.imsproducts.com. Drop by the website, have a look at the pegs and make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio.
You know, I think for most people, trip planning is something that you do before you leave. You might figure out where you want to visit, what route you want to take, and some will plan with more detail, figuring out every stop, every hotel. Others, a little looser, you know, they'll figure it out as they go. But this one here, this is the first trip I've run across where the rider lets the roll of his dice decide his direction. Isaac Simonelli is using dice to determine where he goes on his motorcycle adventure. Yeah, I said dice, the things you normally associate with gambling. And right now, Isaac is in Kenya. Tomorrow, he could be anywhere. Um, I'm Isaac Simonelli. I'm from Indiana in the United States. And I, I do media, I guess, is the best way to put it. Isaac, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here, Jim. So I'm, I'm sort of curious. I have to go right to the media thing. What do you mean you do media sort of? Um, so I spent the last five years in Thailand. Uh, I was the managing editor for a newspaper out there. And then I kind of transitioned over to my own project called Dice Travels. And it's a blog with photography and I do a lot of drone videos. So various types of media and kind of blend it all together for this one year project. And why are you in Nairobi right now? Uh, basically because I rolled a, I rolled a die and the last big die was between Mongolia and Kenya. So if it was an even number, I was coming to Kenya and getting a motorcycle here. If it was odd number, I was going to Mongolia and sorting out how to get a motorcycle there. Okay. So let's back up here. How did you go from being the editor of the (laughs) newspaper to riding your motorcycle and using die to figure out where you're going? Um, so basically when I started the newspaper about five and a half years ago, I went through a really bad breakup, which was completely my fault. Um, and I realized I didn't really care what I did with my life. I could go into war journalism. I could become a dive master and kick it in Thailand. Um, but I was committed to this job. So I kind of hid in my work, uh, at the newspaper for about three or four years And the whole time I had this idea festering where it didn't matter what decisions I made. Um, And if it doesn't matter, why put energy into it? So if Mongolia and Kenya are equal options in both probably being amazing places to uh, get on a motorcycle, then it doesn't matter which one you end up at. So why put effort making the choice? So I would just roll dice um, to kind of deal with this idea of like decision fatigue. Okay. So you were a bike rider before. Uh, Yes, uh, kind of. So I got into it. I got into motorcycles only four years ago. Um, my first trip, I got a, I think it was a 125cc Honda in Hanoi in Vietnam and did the Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh. And I actually learned how to drive a manual motorcycle in Hanoi traffic. And then I did like a three week trip. And yeah, and then I started getting hooked and I got a motorcycle once I could afford one back in Phuket in Thailand. And then, yeah. This trip you set out on, what bike did you leave on? (laughs) I left on a, oh, actually a wonderful bike. It was a Honda CB500X. You guys did a show about the Raid Rider kit for it. The upgrade kit. Yeah. And I was on the road when I was listening to that. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want. Um, But I didn't have the money and I was already on the road. So I started on that. And now what are you riding? Now I'm on a Yamaha DT175. So significantly have downgraded, but 
in between those two bikes, I got on a 100cc or 110cc Honda Win when I was in Vietnam. So I had that for a month. So why the switch around? Um, money, actually. So what happened is because Dice Travels doesn't really set itself up to be planned, and I ended up getting boxed in by China and India. And I just didn't have the finances to really get into those countries. So I was forced to come back to Thailand and sell it. And also like the export permit for Thailand sucks. It's like they only give you one month. So to avoid the hassle, sold the bike. And then I went to Vietnam. And for like $120, I bought this little 110cc Honda Win and did like a northern loop up there. And then when my month visa was up there, I sold that for $120. And then I got over to Kenya and uh, shopped around and ended up with kind of a bomb-proof um, Yamaha DT-175. It kind of reminds me of a movie I think I remember from a long time ago where they were on a boat and they ran out of fuel for the boiler and they started burning the boat <laughs> to, to, fuel, <laughs> to fuel the trip. <laughs> but, but you know, the thing is, Isaac, you, you, I, I have to say, I, I spotted as soon as I look at your story, you're, you're rolling dice to figure out where you're going to go. Dice is gambling. Don't you know that you always lose? The house always wins. Yeah, no, I mean, part of the premise of this trip is that I'm going to go completely broke. Um, <laughs> it is. I have enough money for a plane ticket home that's been set aside. And I'm actually, when I get to Tanzania, I'm actually having to roll the dice for which workaways or like places to volunteer I'm going to go and go there for two weeks and see some of the like more local culture and do like one day, half day motorcycle rides out of that location. And then pop to the next place just to stretch my funds. I'm down to like, I think a thousand dollars to last me three months on the road. Well, this is really neat. So run through the details. Then you get to a spot where you're trying to figure out where to go. What's your routine? Okay. So the routine is one, if there's something I absolutely have to do, I'll just go do it. Um, so recently I was given this absurd offer to go up to do a hike up to Mount Kenya which is the second tallest mountain in Africa, I believe. And it was like $40 on top of park fees. And it was three nights, four days. So I just, I just paid and did it. However, a lot of these things, I don't know enough about a certain border crossing or a certain country for it to matter. And so what I do is if it's between this 40-60%, I don't really know. Um, I just start assigning things to the die. If there's two options, I go, okay, evens, I'll go to Mongolia, odds I'll go to Kenya. Or if there's more options, I just kind of dice up the die that way and then roll it. And whatever it lands on, though, is what I have to do. And that's the key. I've not once in these nine months gone against the die. There's no sort of oversight. It's it's up to you. to. There's no one else you're reporting to or anything like that of, of what happens no, when no. you roll it. You're doing it and you're just sticking true to your word. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, is like, I mean, I left kind of a dream job on a paradise island and I had this amazing girlfriend at the time. And I, I left all of that to go broke on this trip and to at any point to undermine any single role undermines the premise of everything. And it's just I'm too I'm too pot committed. I'm too invested in what I'm doing to start cheating. So what kind of things do you find that are different on this trip that you wouldn't experience if you were if you were doing a different style trip? Um, one of the things I guess is that 
because the dice like line up sequence of events, I find myself building these really interesting narratives where I'm like, oh my gosh, I met this person and I only met this person because I rolled the die and it said, stay at this hotel. So I ended up placing a lot more significance on chance encounters because no matter what, we have chance encounters every time we go on a trip. But because the dice has like manipulated the chance, you, you tend to like add significance, which is, I don't know, it's fun. Give us some examples of things that you've run into, some unique situations that you've had strictly because of rolling the dice. Um, okay, so one of my favorite, and this is not great as a motorcycle side of it, but I got to the border of Myanmar. The first roll I had was between Malaysia, Myanmar, Laos, or Cambodia. And I rolled the die and it came up for Myanmar. I eventually got to Myanmar, got to the border, and I was allowed to cross, but my motorcycle wasn't. And so I had to roll the die about whether or not I was going to go back to Chiang Mai and get my paperwork sorted out, or if I was going to leave my motorcycle, the CB500X at the time, at the border and just go into Myanmar by foot. And I rolled and I, I had to, I had to leave my bike. Um, so I left it at the border. I uh, asked the guest house if I could just park it there for a month and I walked in and then I used to do these weekly rolls like thematic. And it, that night I rolled and it said I was going to meditate for a week and which was funny because I don't meditate and I have no, I, I can't do it. Um, the next morning I get up. And I'm sitting down at the breakfast table and there on my plate, there's this pamphlet and the pamphlet is for a meditation center. That's like 15 minutes out of town. Myanmar is like the home of this type of meditation, Vespana meditation. And you can do 10 days of no reading, no writing, no communication with the outside world, no talking. Uh, meditation starts at 4:30 in the morning. You stop eating at noon. And the die, yeah, the die sent me off on this 10-day meditation camp. And had I had the motorcycle, obviously, I wouldn't have used the time that way. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of an absurd sequence of events, all kind of manipula- manipulated by the die. Has it got you into trouble at all? No, <laughs> it hasn't. Um, part of it is because I'm using that 40-60 range of like what I roll for. If I, if I opened up the doors more, it could, but I think there's part of me that since I know I have to have to do whatever the die says, I, I'm a bit cautious what options I give it. <laughs> okay. We're, we're saying die dice. What's the difference? <laughs> uh, so die is the singular and dice is plural. And you are just have the one. Well, so most of the rolls, I only use one die, but I, I have like tons of dice. So what? because I'm tra- actually traveling with like a four-sided, a six-sided, eight, 10, 12, and a 20-sided die. What's the fascination with dice? Um, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. Did you ever, you know what that game is? Yeah, I've heard of it, but I don't know it. I, it's like a role-playing game. Basically, everything works on odds and you roll the dice. Yeah. And so I, I grew up playing that. And so I always had this idea of what all these dice were. I was a a professional poker player for about a year and a half online. So I like gambling. I like all these things. And dice are, a fair die is perfect in the way that it, it isn't favored. So once you let it go, everything has an equal chance. And I really like that idea of just making 
the playing field's fair for all these options. So what's the plan now? Where do you head next? Um, so now I'm going to, um, I rolled and I'm off to Tanzania. And so hopefully we'll see what the dice do, but I'll spend maybe a month and a half or so in Tanzania. And then I want to get up into Uganda, Rwanda, possibly. I don't think I'll head south into Mozambique, but again, it comes down to kind of what the dice end up doing. Um, yeah, I have, I have three months left of the trip. What happens if you roll and it comes up with a, a, a choice that you really do not want to do? Or, or maybe you avoid doing that by, like you said, using the 60-40 and you don't give it the choice. You don't give it the chance to, to push you into something you don't really want to do. Like I'm thinking like a dangerous area or something. Right. So I find actually, especially with like dangerous things, I tend to just decide I want to do them. Um, but like a dangerous area of travel, uh, the biggest issue and the biggest fear for me is that, okay, I won't put it on. So we have in like Northern Kenya right now, because of the drought, um, it's a bit dangerous and like an escort is probably good to know, good, like good to have. But, um, had I rolled the die without that information, cause occasionally you get information after the fact I would have to follow through. And so that's the biggest issue is that I can't factor in new information into making that choice once it's been made. What did you imagine when you, before you left on this trip, that was going to be very difficult, or maybe the hardest part of it that really turned out to be quite easy? Um, I guess border crossings and that only turned out to be quite easy because I keep refusing to take my motorcycle across borders and I just ditch it and buy a new one. Um, that was, that was kind of, yeah, I figured that was, that's what I was most anxious about was making these kind of things in general of letting go. I was okay with that. Um, and I've never done a long solo motorcycle trip before either. So breakdowns, motorcycle maintenance issues. I've only had a motorcycle for about three or four years now. So I'm very new to the whole, to everything, all aspects of it. I like the idea that, you know, you left on a, a beautiful bike, the Honda, and that you really do, from what I'm gathering from, you see this bike, any bike, as just a, a mode of transportation for you to travel on. You're not in love with the bike itself. Oh, I actually am in love with the bike. I'm just good at letting go of things that I love. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you're a gambler, right? Uh, I mean, you said you spent time as a professional gambler. You, you have to be willing to let things go that you love. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It, it happens. And so, yeah, I mean, because the thing is, especially with adventure riding is the key is to get out there and, and to ride and to see the world and to explore that that's the core of it. And I think it's really, really easy to get caught up in needing the best bike and all the best gear to do it. And if you have the funds to do it, great. But I think there's probably a lot of younger riders in their twenties or early thirties that are just not making that leap because they feel like they need the equipment. They need the bigger bike when really they, they don't, they can get out here, buy a plane ticket to Africa for $600, pick up a used motorcycle for $1,500 and then just go see the world. Well, for example, what are you using for equipment? I mean, you're on the, the smaller bike now. What do you have for bags, et cetera? Uh, so <laughs> the bag situation is funny. So on the CB500X, I had um, metal panniers and it was a great setup. 
here I had in Nairobi, there's a place that you can get like custom bags made. So I basically drew up some custom saddlebags with ripstop waterproof fabric. And then I had a custom, there was this welder on the side of the road, talked to him. We talked about how to make like basically racks to stop the bags from bouncing into my tires, screwed those on to the side of the bike. And that that's the setup I have now. They're pretty big bags though. I think they're 32 liters each. So it's just a matter of having the will to do it and then just get in there and figure out any way to get the job done. Right. And I'm traveling with too much stuff. I mean, if someone came in with a lot less stuff, it would be so much easier. Um, I've just got a lot of gear with me for the media side and I do magic on the side and there's all these other facets. But if you came in with only that idea, yeah, you could piece it together really easily. Come with your own boots, your own helmet, and the rest you can kind of take care of. How about talking about making money on the road? The only way you can extend your trip is if you get some money coming in. Have you found ways to make money on the road? So I've been really lucky. I've had a few people make some really nice donations um, because the blog that I put up is pretty extensive. I do about four to 12 pages of writing per day, plus videos and uh, photography. So I've had a few people who've been really nice. Yeah, it's a lot of content. Mm -hmm. Um, but on top of that, I have my drone. So I'm traveling with my second drone of the trip. So three motorcycles, two drones. And, um, I've had, I've sold some footage, um, the international refugee committee, I believe it was the committee, um, bought 10 seconds of drone footage for like $400. Um, and then I just recently been booked to do some drone footage for a music video here in Nairobi. So it's like you try to find bits and pieces and some of it too is not making money, but not spending money, which is where like there's, there's programs out there like uh, Wolf or Woofers. And then there's also like Workaway where you can go and volunteer and they, they pay for your room and they feed you and you go teach or plant crops. And again, that extends. So you do that for two weeks and then you travel for a week and you can kind of extend things out that way. Mm, that's good advice. What, what, what advice or tips do you have for somebody who might be considering a trip like this? Um, like this? Uh, well, any, any an sort extra- of trip. Like I, I doubt somebody's going to go and do the exact same thing as you are. <laughs> but I mean, I love what you're talking about because, you know, you're saying like, the, you know, younger people may not be interested in getting into the whole adventure bike scene, but they can still jump on any old bike and have an adventure. And that's the essence of adventure motorcycling. I think sometimes people miss that. And it's a point we make over and over on this show. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what they can do is, one, learn how to fix a bike. Honestly, that makes a huge difference. But don't let it hold you back because everywhere I've been so far, knock on wood, um, someone's been there. Um, Especially if you buy a bike in the country, usually the people know how to fix those bikes. And outside of that is like really figuring out how to make your money stretch. So doing these doing these workaways, taking advantage of these online communities, using couch surfing. I've used couch surfing quite a few times. And again, they not only do they extend your trip, but they also give you really unique, authentic moments. So I couch surfed at this guy's house and I met him and his wife and his two little kids. And it was a very modest home. I mean, by Western standards, it I mean, it was 
a room and a half basically, but they made me feel at home. And then they put me in touch with this old 72 year old man somewhere off in the mountains. And I stayed with his neighbor's house and it just gets complicated and interesting because you, you kind of infiltrate the community and that's where you kind of want to be as a traveler. Isaac, thank you very much for coming on and talking about your trip and good luck. Thanks so much, Jim. And that was Isaac Seminelli on the road in Kenya, Africa. You can find out more about Isaac and his travels by visiting www.dicetravels.com. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you the listener we really appreciate you listening Hey, and if you like what we're doing you want to help out drop by our website www.adventureriderradio.com click on the donate button anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent right back at you anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on our raw show so we really appreciate it don't forget the show is built on a model of advertising plus show donations to help make the whole thing come around Thanks very much. See you next week. You're looking in the Venture Radio. Try it again. Uh, you're looking in the Venture Rider Radio. Say Adventure Rider Radio. Oh, Venture Riding Radio. Adventure Rider Radio. Oh, Venture Riding Radio. Ah!